Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Welcome to the NZ Tech Podcast, episode number 41. Yes, we've done it. How are we doing there, chaps? Good, man. Super. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. You're with uh, myself, Paul Spain. You have Bradley Burrows. And Skip Parker. Welcome along, guys. Looks like we've got a fun agenda tonight. We're chit-chatting about the NZ iDev 2 event. Flash technology is going the way of the dodo, apparently. And the emu and the lemma and everything else. (laughs) The emu and the lemma. (laughs) I think the emu's still here, buddy. Um, We're going to chat about Kindle Fire, Android ice cream sandwich. The iPhone 4S, of course, which was released in New Zealand last week, so we'll be chit-chatting about that. Some tech bargains. There was a bit of a hacking incident that was kind of interesting and on a big enough scale that we're going to have a have a discussion around that. Some issues with SMS text messaging and some new processor technology. That kind of covers most of most of what we've got on the agenda. There's there's one or two more items. A few little Easter eggs we'll throw in. Yeah, yeah. So um, right, let let let's get straight into it. First up. Internet rates in New Zealand. Brad, you wanted to have a little bit of a sort of a, a discussion. Rant, a rant? No, 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 not a rant. No, just not a, a rant. Just a discussion. All right. Yeah. No. Look, I mean, so so my my thing around this is that um, I got a really nice call from the people at Telecom over the weekend, and it wasn't a scam because I called them back. And they're what off part of the world. Were they calling you from? They were actually calling me from India somewhere, but I did did check it out. I did because <laughs> I'm sitting there going, I'm the person that rants about making sure you check this. I better not get scammed myself. But so once I verified who it was and everything, and went through the, the process, um, Telecom were actually offering. Um, a pretty competitive package for here in New Zealand, which is 140 bucks, which includes your phone, your phone rental and everything else, and you get 100 gig of data, ADSL 2, um, which when you consider it, that, that's, that's... That doesn't sound very competitive to me. Well, I, I, I spend less than half of that, and I get 60 gigs, and if I want 90, it, uh, it costs me 95 bucks. Phone, re- phone rental? for 120. Phone rental? And $10 for a VoIP line. Yeah, see, I don't use a VoIP. I, I'm, still, I'm still on the old telecom paying for my line rental spending $50, $60. Look at you being all nostalgic and all. Yeah. But, I mean, I thought, oh, okay, okay. So, but then, then I sat down and went, okay, so let's, I'll, I'll bounce this around. So I spoke to a few people and a friend of mine in Australia. Yep. So he's got cable internet. He gets 92 meg download speeds, 2 meg upload speed, speeds. He's got a terabyte a terabyte data cap. So that's that's 10 times what Telecom were offering yep. you for their $140. Unlimited yep. phone calls within Australia, and you can nominate two countries outside Australia for unlimited calling, $139.95. Which, with the current exchange rate... 150 would, maybe 155 uh, Not that much? No, nah, but more, but but more, more, but more than that but in still, current times. It's, it's 92 meg download speed and a terabyte of data. Yeah, but what's the contention ratio going to be like? I mean, you, you know, it's obviously going to be a shared service with other people. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, I'd imagine that the contention ratios over in Australia are probably dramatically higher than here. But doesn't it just... Sh- I mean, look, okay, so that, that's great from a technical side, but doesn't it just show some of the, the, the key differences we're seeing? We're only two and a half hours plane ride away from that country. It's a giant piece of land 
So they can actually be able to do a lot more sort of cabling over there. But yet our pricing is, doesn't even come close to being competitive against what they're doing over there. And yet we're, we're still ranked, what, 18th in the OECD world for internet um, coverage and speeds and everything. It sort of seems... Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, it's definitely an area I think we would we'd like to investigate further. Uh, we really want to get a handle. I think you know the listeners are, are keen to hear a little bit more about what's happening uh, with fibre optic here in New Zealand, with uh, what yes. Crown Fibre are, are doing with uh, Chorus and the, the various other uh, partners around New Zealand. So what we will do over that we'll try and work in over the next couple of weeks is we'll get uh, we'll get Crown Fibre uh, in on the show. And let, let's get a little bit more detail around around that, and a little bit of the technicalities of what it all means, because there's obviously quite different technology. It has some, you know, has has some uh, some benefits, but of course there's wait times and other other things to uh, to think about. So let's drop that one in for uh, future episodes. Most definitely, uh, most definitely. All right. Well, um, now Siri. Yes. iPhone 4s. Yes. Battery issues. Yeah, still there, but yes. So there's a few bits and pieces going on in the, in the in the news around Apple over the last few days. I guess the big one has to be locally is that the iPhone 4S has launched here in New Zealand. It's now it's now available through uh, Telecom and the Vodafone, right? Correct. Yep, they did both had their big launch nights, and I think Telecom had Dan Carter, a rugby player. For, if you're not listening to this from New Zealand, and I did see a lot around the Vodafone one. Skip, did you see anything on the Vodafone? They had uh, Midnight Youth, a local band, down at the uh, Queen Street um, store. Actually, I think that one ended up with a uh, noise uh, complaint <laughs> down there, so they had to turn that one down a bit, apparently. Um, but it was really interesting watching both Telecom and Vodafone um, sparring off quite friendly as well on uh, Twitter about it all. So they're trying to uh, sort of obviously communicate what's going on down there, and then they were communicating amongst each other uh, on Twitter about, you know, what are you guys doing, what are we doing? It was quite friendly. It was quite interesting just seeing the different styles brought to the marketing ballpark on this one twitter love lots well, twitter, of twitter, twitter love ha- twitter has really changed the you know, playing field in in many ways uh, you know even if we look at for instance uh, the rugby world cup with the sort of discussions people were having during the game and so totally. on it, with twitter i mean that just didn't exist with the previous rugby world cup and there are so many different things now where we see this sort of live online uh, interaction around so many sorts of things. I mean, this will be the first election here in New Zealand where we've had uh, such, you know, uh, heavy usage of social media tying into it. And it's really interesting watching what people are putting on Facebook, on, on Twitter, uh, a little bit on some of, the, some of the other networks, but those two primarily uh, around their thoughts and, and opinions and the, and the way uh, various... Uh, MPs and candidates are, are representing themselves too. Yeah, I think you just highlighted a really good point there. I mean, if you look at watching even the breakfast television shows over here in the mornings, they'll have live Twitter feeds coming through and, and live Facebook feeds, which when you consider even six months ago, the social interaction where they're reading out what's going on in the social media chat rooms and everything, it's very much becoming a interactive world where even the, the competitors are doing it on Twitter, TV shows, like you said, elections are happening. Um, it's it's interesting on, but who owns your Twitter name? Do you own your Twitter name, or does Twitter own your Twitter handle? So mine is at Brad Bohr, So I actually don't own that. Twitter actually own that name, and it's sort of like when people build up a brand around Twitter. I mean, this could be something for another topic one time. But who actually owns it, and can I take that with me if I leave an organisation? So something to think about. I was just having a bit of a mm, ponder. Mm, mm. 
Okay, anyway, so the iPhone... <laughs> we, we're not, that was a great we, topic, we, actually. We, the iPhone launch. Um, yes. Obviously, everyone's going in to get into Siri. Yes. And, I, I mean, I've been led to believe, and I still believe, Siri doesn't really work here in New Zealand. It, seem, it seems to vary. I mean, different Partial. opinions coming through from different people. I think it depends on a number of factors. Now... Brad, you've got you've obviously had had some time playing with yes, this. I have. There, there are a couple of the couple of things that I I got from the feedback from you and from others is that it's not designed for the New Zealand accent, so there can be issues around that. Very hard. Yep. Yep. And also that Siri doesn't have sort of a a lot of localization uh, type content around New Zealand, other than sort of you know local weather and so on. There's not there's not a, not really a whole lot else. Uh, from that location perspective, is, is that fair to say? Yeah, look, I mean, another person that's we we sort of were in contact earlier on with Dan. He's actually been um, plays. He's been having a go with Siri as well. So, what what I found was Siri was great for telling the time, telling me the weather. Um, it was amazing at doing voice to text. It is a beautiful device that if you have a disability out there and, and you want to use technology to to communicate with other people, it's fantastic. It's got a great avenue there to to work through. Um, as for sitting down when I try, and I had Siri going for about three and a half hours, um, I, it wouldn't find pizza place. It just couldn't do any of the location-based stuff. Now, some people are saying they've got it working with, and it all depends on what you're asking, how you're asking it, but also whether the content exists in the database. Sorry, Skip. No, I think um, a lot of that actually comes down to local businesses actually subscribing into these things as Correct. well. So going to Wellington, for example, and using Google around Wellington was quite astounding it just works so well because businesses down there are actually embedding into that space yeah and, and they're, they're pulling in multiple services one of the ones we haven't heard a lot of over here is yelp they use a bit of the yelp services as well as i think paul you were saying for the weather they're using yahoo is i that think correct? they draw that from yahoo and and the reason that came up were was that th- there were people and people were trying to get their weather and you know we're, we're trying to yeah, you can ask Siri whether you need to take an umbrella sort of thing. They were trying that in Dunedin and it was failing, but apparently that's a failing not to do with Siri or Apple. The, the issue comes to the do content. with a, 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 yeah. a, a fault at Yahoo's end, which apparently uh, needs needs to be tweaked. So, uh, so, yeah. so they're obviously pulling in content from a lot of different providers to make Siri work. But, I mean, have you guys any more feedback on the chat rooms or experiences over the weekend playing around with it or, or speaking with people? Uh, we we put out some we put out some messages through NZ Tech podcast social media channels just in the last few hours this afternoon to get feedback on uh, the iPhone 4s in general. Mm-hmm. So we've done that on Facebook on Google Plus where, where we now have um, you can now um, add us to one of your circles on Google Plus. Uh, so we're we're on and we're on Twitter of course and uh, there is the uh, NZ Tech uh, group on LinkedIn as as yes. well, which which we're sort of associated with. That's so, a good one. Uh, so we put I put some messages up around those channels this afternoon, and yeah, got a little bit of feedback via Twitter and Facebook. But the thing that surprised me was out of our audience, which is a pretty tech um, enthusiast sort of audience, and quite a big audience too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got a thousand uh, followers on our Facebook page, although uh, this may have actually been amongst my personal friends, which is which is still a you know a reasonable sort of size. Thousand and one. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, our Twitter followers is is reasonably large as well. 
and we didn't get a big response. There wasn't a, a lot of people saying, hey, we've gone to the iPhone 4S, because that was the question I put out there. Who's gone to it? What's, what's your feedback? Yeah. But the, there just actually uh, doesn't seem to have been the buzz really around the iPhone 4S as we've seen around the um, some of the previous devices. Does that surprise you guys? A little bit. I mean, look, you guys are going to hate me for saying but it is a nice device. I, I, I Skip's going to really, but it, don't put my mic down, please. But it does, it is a really nice device to have in the hand. And after you playing around with Android phones, you do get it. It does feel a little, I mean, it's, it, it feels a little bit larger and heavier, but it's, it's a, it is a very nice device. And the camera on it is, I mean, mind-blowingly good. But this person that let me borrow their iPhone and chew up huge data bills on their phone, <laughs> which is quite nice of them, um, they went and the reason they bought it was because they, they'd been waiting for an iPhone five. The iPhone three, I think they had at the time, was compl- I mean they dropped it so many times it had so many rubber bands around it to hold it together. So that's the only reason they upgraded. Um, but it, it is quite a nice device. Cool. Now I've got a question. I don't know whether any of you guys or our listeners know the answer to this one, but. Um, I often recommend that people that buy a high-end smartphone as they get the sort of phone insurance type options with it because, you know, it's reasonably easy to drop or damage or lose an expensive $1,000 smartphone. You don't really want to have to start again and spend that money all over. Mm-hmm. So it's often better just to spread the cost and to get that. that uh, I know with Vodafone, it's just their Vodafone phone insurance service is about $10, maybe $10 plus GST a month. But Vodafone stopped offering that when the iPhone 4 came out. So, I mean, they still offer it, but it doesn't... You can be paying for it, but if it's an iPhone 4 or or above that you've got, it doesn't actually work. It means nothing. And I've come across a few people that have been spending this money thinking, oh, yeah, we've got our phone insured, we've got our phone insured. And then I found out, actually, you're, you're on an iPhone 4, so it's not covered. Now, what I don't know is now that Telecom are in the market, whether their phone insurance covers uh, covers the iPhone 4s and, and, and so on as well. Now, Does that mean you can like you be, if you had an iPhone four from day dot and you're paying this insurance? What are you actually paying for then? You're not paying for anything, but you're paying money out on insurance. So yeah, you're, actually, paying, you're paying a monthly insurance fee because that Vodafone don't know or don't keep a record necessarily of what handset you've got at any given moment. It's a ripple. So so they don't know. And yet you're paying money. You've so, just discovered a huge scam, Mr. Spain. Oh yeah, I came I came across <laughs> one, one of my customers, and we were analysing, you know, what they were spending. And Vodafone's new plans were great for them. They're cutting in half their bill. And one of the things we found when we were analysing it was that they were paying phone insure for you know, two of their two of their key people, and those people had had an iPhone four. So I said, well. Look, there's 240 bucks that you know we've wasted over the last 12 months paying it for those two. Let let's stop that. Uh, but what I'm curious to know is a telecom because telecom have some sort yep. of phone insurance offering as well. Whether that covers the iPhone 4. Now I understand why they did it because what tends to happen is when the new models come out, and this seemed to be the case more with iPhone than with any other phone on the market, and it also happens to the most expensive phone on the market mysteriously there'd be a whole lot of issues with people's phones getting lost or broken when the new uh, model came out each year and so they had to they had to draw this line in the sand and say well when it comes to these phones we can't cover them under insurance because there there seemed to be some um we should know, call it a, a small percentage of people who are probably having some honesty issues that's the way i i took it anyway from what i saw so anyway interesting stuff uh if you've got other phones then yeah well worth insuring them if you're on telecom 
it would be interesting to know whether you can get that covered. Actually, just before we wrap up the iPhone stuff, the uh, iOS uh, patching that's just come through. Yes. The thing that cracks me up the most about it is that... Um, oh, sorry, do you, do you want to explain what's, the, what's going on with the patching? Okay, so the, the patch, there's been a patch release for iOS 5, yep. and the biggest marketing, should I say marketing, biggest point about this is that it actually fixes battery life. Well, there's mixed that's, rumors. That's what we were. That's what we were led to believe initially was, and I know Brad, you mentioned it. Since you had gone to iOS five on your iPad, you oh, seem yeah. to have battery issues, right? It's like I'm only getting. I timed it the other week: two hours, thirty six minutes before my battery goes from zero to flat. Before that, I was getting five, maybe six hours. Wow. And we've seen that with some. In fact, some of the comments that came back on Facebook around the iPhone 4S were around battery life being considerably less, less than the iPhone 4. Yep, so anyway, the patch has come out and there's now discussion coming back from Apple that perhaps it hasn't quite fixed the issue that people are yep. seeing. Now, the thing, I'm, I actually don't care about the battery life. I think that's the minor issue in the patch. And this is the thing that hasn't sort of come through, is that the patch also fixes a remote exploit vulnerability in iOS 5. Quite a big security hole. Huge security hole. Now, I've actually just been seeing on the net that there's still rumours that part of that exploit still has not been patched. So I'm starting to see that a lot of talk as well, coming back from Apple, saying actually the patch doesn't seem to have fixed all the things that we hoped it had fixed. Yep. So, so my, our feedback, I think, is don't really... If you, if you don't need to install it, then don't do it. Yeah, it's probably worth just keeping an eye on for the next because there's probably mm. going to be another patch coming through shortly. Um, it's actually in saying that it doesn't appear to have released any or opened up any new exploits on the iPhone. It certainly has fixed one or two, but not the major ones. Yep. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly there probably isn't a downside to installing it though, is there at this stage? Possibly not, but I, I don't expect it to do anything. That's what I say. <laughs> fair enough. Fair no, enough. That, that, that's a good feedback actually. Yep. And the other thing that's nice about this update is you can't get it over over the air on your device. So you can get that down to your uh, iPhone? Yes. Do it over the year because it's a lot smaller than tethering it because it will it's a tether tenth, the... tenth of the size. Exactly. It's 66 megabytes as opposed to about 650 megs if you oh my download goodness. it through yep. iTunes on your, on your PC. Because it does a full operating Mac. system update, doesn't yes. uh, full up, rather than just doing it's an incremental... Like a full OS build. Oh. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but it's good to see Apple are doing those smaller over-the-year updates now because that's certainly something we've complained about in the past is the crazy size of... Of Apple updates, so the, the over-the-year OTA option is, is a goodie. Now, Mr. Spain, you've been smoozing the Apple people, and we're maybe going to have an iPhone 4S in here to play with soon, um, Mr. Smoothie Man. Actually, that could be our next guest on the show, Siri. <gasps> we could do the whole show. Oh, we'll I've got an idea. Okay, we'll interview Siri on a, on a future. No, but we're, we're going to review it, aren't we? We're going to have a play around. Yeah, with it. yeah. So, uh, so apparently we're 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 in the queue for that. I did only get round to asking them yesterday, so <laughs> you know the, that that that's why we don't have uh, have have one on the show this week. But we we will get that uh, sorted. And uh, and we'll cover that off uh, maybe maybe next week. And we've also got the N9 to give away today as well, which is going to be big big oh, news. Oh yes, we do. Yes, we do indeed. Now, the Kindle Fire. Yes. Why is why is uh, why is that interesting you at the moment, Brad? So the, so the Nook and the Kindle Fire both um, have gone live in the US, and pre-order sales are going through the roof over there. So these are the these are the tablets that are being sold by 
the two biggest booksellers in the US. Yeah, right? Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Yeah, I got there on the right way for a change. Um, yeah, and so these are going on, um, and they're the the Kindle Fire, which is the one that's really interesting to me, which is selling for one ninety nine USD at the moment. It's a plus, color plus tax. Plus yeah. tax um, is a color device. It's very ultra thin. Um, battery life is still being confirmed. I'm hearing various reports around it. But I'm actually going to, I'm over in the US in a few weeks and I'm going to be buying one of these to have a play with because I think this could be something that I could replace my iPad with because I, all I use my iPad is for reading books and watching movies and this thing will do um, high definition movies and read books. And for 199 bucks, that's not a bad deal. And it does Netflix as well. There seem to be a mm. few of these Android tablets in this sort of pricing space because I remember we we announced a you know a month or so back about the uh, the Lenovo offering which was going to be coming in around that 199. Yep. Uh, we've seen the uh, Barnes and Noble's Nook which uh, was 250 come down to 199 for the older model. Then they've introduced a funky new model <laughs> that seems to blow away the kindle fire in terms of specs yes, and, and storage and so on so it's got twice the storage yep. but can be expanded uh that's coming into the market at two four two four nine and there's seem to be quite a few people saying oh well that's well worth spending the extra fifty dollars on because it's got you know xyz type you know th- those features and and more so yeah it's it's a really competitive space at the moment and good. it'll be what i'm looking forward to is seeing what lands in new zealand in the new year uh, with the new ice cream sandwich sort of build of Android because that's really what we're waiting we're waiting to see, isn't it? Now, the Kindle Android's not real Android, is it? No, it's it, not. And it and does have some issues supporting all of the Android apps as far as I'm aware, is that Correct. right? Yep. It's, it's, it's very been, targeted. It's been yep. tweaked, hasn't it? So they've, they've taken the, the open source code and they've done what you can do with open source, which is to sort of fork it off in a new direction and, and create your... An own uh, Frankenstein-ish, um, you know, version of it. That there, is go, a, there goes our open source audience. Created a, a monster. That is a, um, yeah, an abomination of the original. Um, <laughs> I'm sure some might be the impression from some of the Google folks. Anyway. Some might say it's an improvement, but you never know. But, I mean, that's worth keeping an eye on. If you think you're going to get a Kindle Fire to get an, uh, an Android-based device, yes, it's, it's not, that. not an Android-based but device. But they do have their own marketplace. Well, it is Android-based, but they're going to be some limitations yeah. Yeah. but look I'll, I'll have one hopefully back when I'm in the country December the 5th so we'll all be having a play on that one for a little while you can so. place your pre-orders at <laughs> <laughs> skip.parker at <laughs> yeah. now Flash that's been in the news this week and what what's been announced by Adobe is they're no longer developing Flash for mobile devices now so when you mean mobile, do you mean telephones or do you mean tablets? Just so we're so, so we're talking about uh, flash for devices such as the Android phones, which are the mo- main yep. devices with uh, with flash at the moment. Android tablets and also Rim's uh, BlackBerry Playbook. So it's a quite a big part, and obviously Apple iPads didn't support Flash anyway. And yeah, so what you know, so what we knew was that uh, yeah, the mobile devices from Apple haven't been supporting it, and Apple have been saying, "Hey, everything's moving in the direction of HTML5 or apps. You don't need Flash." And then it's full we've of had security we've, holes, and da da da. That was that was Steve Jobs' big thing. And we've had Microsoft's announcement that the um, you know that Windows 8, unless you're you're running in this sort of traditional mode, uh, it 
it won't be it won't support plugins in the in the browser either. So uh, Flash was was going to be degraded there as well. So so it's all HTML5 now. So it's really pushing. I guess yeah, it has an impact across a number of across a number of areas. So you know, I'm thinking about what's the impact here in New Zealand. Um, we we were chatting about this earlier before we hmm. before we started, and you know, one of my thoughts was uh, the guys. You know, we interviewed uh, Mitch Olson from Small Worlds on on the show a few months ago, and they uh, have a, gla- a gaming platform that's entirely based on on Flash at the moment. It's going to impact organisations like that who rely on Flash as the, uh, I guess, the, the the mechanism they use to, um, you know, to deliver their product. Uh, it means they're going to have to sort of do some pretty heavy uh, development work to uh, to get around Flash maybe disappearing. You know, if we're seeing it going from mobile devices now, it'll probably disappear from from other devices uh, in the not-too-distant future. And I think the big thing also is when you look at, what is it, 75 or 80% of the world runs has Flash somewhere in their sites. I mean, think about just the basic stuff with Facebook. Now, I know while there's for, for iPad users, there's an app. For a lot of people, still browse it in a web browser. Then people use it to play Farmville. You know, all, that, all those games that have built up this huge ecosystem, they're all going to have to be rewritten for HTML5. I, I'm, I'm which, is, which isn't yeah, a bad thing because Flash, oh, Flash is notorious for slowing down machines and stealing battery life and, yeah, causing a lot of issues, right? But, yeah, I mean, things and, like and, and Google Maps. security issues, Google, right? Google Maps uses Flash. They're going to, I mean, the, the, the Street View version of it. So, I mean, they're going to have to rewrite a lot of that for the mobile devices in HTML5, which, again, I'm personally very pleased that they're doing that because html5 rocks well it's more open it's more of an open yeah. uh, standard isn't it? it it's something that's you know easy for any any vendor any device to support totally whereas flash has always you know had limitations around and it's a proprietary thing that only adobe really you know adobe control there is another adobe product that possibly will fill the gap the adobe air product so air is a product that is um shall we say browserless so you're basically sitting on Adobe's uh, platform. And so potentially moving Air into the mobile platform could be an answer for that. So they basically go and say, let's give up on Flash. It might be a relatively easy migration path to redevelop from Flash into Air uh, for big developers like Small Worlds and stuff like that in the mobile space. And um, potentially Air is a lot better, and a much better product um, for the mobile market, so maybe that's where they're going to head it to. I think that's unlikely because Air hasn't been announced on a, on on a really a broad range a broad range of platforms. And I, I can't see Adobe but, sitting back and watching a product line die without a progression towards something. Well, they do have a new product in their labs called Wallaby. Mm. Now, it might sound very Australian. Uh, but Wallaby is no, a tool. I think it's just a rodent problem. Wallaby is their tool that will <laughs> actually works, convert the uh, Flash content to HTML. Right. So they've got that which they've been working on. So you'd still be able to use all the same development, maybe tools that you've used in the past, and this might be the direction they're going. So you still use your your uh, your Adobe products to produce your content, uh, but then it'll push it out into uh, into HTML5. And I think they understand that the writing's on the wall for this 
proprietary stuff. And if you know, if we look at Adobe Air, it hasn't really gained a lot of market share. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced HTML5 is there yet as a full replacement for Flash. So I'm going to be interested to watch where that where that heads off to. I mean, HTML5 for starters is still being fought out amongst the um, the browser vendors, for example, as to how it's going to be, what it's going to support, and video is a classic example around that one. Um, but yeah, I just some of the interaction, some of the things that Flash can do. I'm not sure HTML5 is just there just yet, so I'm just a little intrigued. I know that the announcement is Flash on the mobile devices. Yeah, that's um, all. At, that's all. At this that's stage. all it is at this stage. Yeah. But that's a huge market, though. It, so it is uh, a huge market. But when you when you look at it, the huge market is iPhones who won't accept Flash, and true. Windows Phone Seven is not accepting Flash. It's really only Android that's actually accepting Flash. So I have a question for for. The general public out there, what are they going to notice if Flash were gone tomorrow? If Flash couldn't run, what what's not going to work? I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at Brad's screen, and there's an ugly animated ad filling up a, a large chunk of his screen, which is Flash based. Um, YouTube wouldn't work. Good, um, good parts of it. Uh, Some YouTube clips wouldn't work. Farmville wouldn't work. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness. Yes. So, so let's do it. Let's there are, get rid there of are a lot of games. <laughs> you know, there, there are, are a lot of gaming sites. You know, we a lot talked of about Small sites. Worlds before. There's things like uh, Microsoft have their um, uh, their online gaming platforms that tend to be uh, flash flash based in a, in a lot of cases. Uh, there's Zone.com and things like that. New Zealand uh, Herald would have um, Red X's going through it at the moment. There's all sorts of bits and pieces all over the web that at the moment rely on it. But if you go onto your iPad, for instance, nothing you see on your iPad is flash-based. So there has already been a transition to make content accessible from uh, mobile devices that don't have flash. So it's it's not as bad as it would have been yeah, maybe a year or two ago because, uh, yeah, that transition's already well underway. One other topic that I thought was of, of some, some local relevance is we've got Christmas coming up. We're putting together, a, I guess, a list of what we think is sort of the, uh, the things that people will want to look out for over, uh, over that season in terms of um, gadgets and technology and things that they might want to buy. Yes, we're having fun at the moment trying to pull this together, aren't we? Yeah, so we've got, we're talking to a whole bunch of people. We've got car makers who want us to look at their cars that do cool stuff. Can't wait to get my hands tech. on that Skoda. Um, oh, that Ferrari that they're going to have me testing. <laughs> um, and, but right down to sort of small gadgets. So, uh, But a couple of things that, were, that just came across in the last few days that I thought were worth mentioning. Over the weekend, the guys at JB Hi-Fi were doing a 14-inch uh, LCD TV for $499. Now, Sorry, how much? $499. For a LCD TV? 47-inch. That's stupid. So it's their generic in-house brand. But I, I thought about it in the morning, and I thought, oh, that actually sounds like quite a good deal. And I didn't really think about it again until later on in the day. And then I thought, hold on, what's the next cheapest 47-inch It's full HD LCD TV in the market? And I thought, I've never seen one even for $1,000, let alone $500. So in this case, what they were doing was they were, they were sort of doing one of those things where they had a limited stock. They, they had, I mean, quite a reasonable amount of stock, uh, but it sold out within all of their stores within, within a few hours. And It'd I be think a great second TV for the kids or something, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of sort of thing where you know, if you're replacing something like a um, you know a smaller twenty-something inch screen, whatever, um, 
a screen like that is is probably going to be more than adequate. Now, the downside, uh, we'll probably hear... What, what are your thoughts? What's the downside of buying one of these cheap TVs, Skip? Come on, Skip, I tell us. I see Skip wants to, wants to jump in. Well, yeah, I actually had a comment from a uh, listener who uh, saw, saw the tweet from you on the weekend about uh, said TV and mm-hmm. actually saw said TV at uh, said organisation. Um, there is a reason why it's really, 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 really cheap. Um, the quality on it is not as slick as we'd hope it to be and apparently it's actually really good if you're looking at photos. It's quite amazing. But if that photo was to move, um, the redraw rate on it was pretty awful and you'd actually see some quite blurry movements in there. So, yeah, it, I mean... What I heard was that it, that it used a, a panel that's maybe one or two generations old, uh, you know, yeah, an, I mean, an older generation. But if I re- if I look at the TVs that are around my house, none of those were bought in the last six weeks. They're all using an older generation, uh, yeah, probably one or two generations back because we see new generation of panel every every sort of whatever it is six, yeah, to, I mean, six panels, to twelve months. The so. panels are part of the equation, but also the mechanism in which you display images is also a huge part. And in particular for this particular model, even though it's you know quite a, a cost-effective unit, if you're sitting there watching sports and you're wanting to see sort of quick response on your display. Um, it, it's certainly not there. I mean, you're certainly not going to see that quick response. I watch I watch sports about once every four years when the um, when the rugby world cups on. Well, that's right. And, and I mean, that, that's an interesting point. Is that it may not be uh, for you may not be that interested in. It. In fact, I watch sports uh, rugby on one particular screen uh, of a friend of mine, and um, you could just see the ghosting of the players going across because the the reaction on the pixels was just too slow. Um, but yeah, you might have had to turn the crank handle a little bit quicker, Skip. Well, that's that right, the, the steam-powered unit. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly something to be really aware of when you're buying televisions. Is uh, you know, if you're buying something, why would you go and get? You know, if you want something that's really good quality, you're probably not going to get that for two to three hundred dollars in a forty-inch screen sort of deal. Um, so there's all these sort of things that you just got to keep a, your eye out for. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's lo- it's worth looking at the products. You're going to get what you pay for yep. in in general. So if this is half the price of anything else in the market, and it was a short special, it's now back on their website at double that price. You can buy it for nine hundred and ninety-eight dollars, yeah. I think, for the, exactly the same product. Wow. Um, so. Uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty good deal, and probably anyone that bought one uh, yeah, that saw our uh, our tweet and bought one could probably put it straight up on Trade Me and and uh, <laughs> you know pocket a few hundred dollars because there, there just n- is nothing in the market at that sort of price point. Right. So um, the other thing that I came across that was interesting, and I've been watching the prices on these uh, recently, is Blu-ray players. Now these seem to have really been coming down in price. It was wasn't that long ago that really the, the cheapest way to get a Blu-ray player was to go and buy a PlayStation 3. Yeah, that's right. Right, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's only 600 and whatever dollars, and I get a Blu-ray player and a gaming console. And and still a lot of people, that's how that's the, the, the tack they'll take to get a Blu-ray capability, which is, which is great because you're obviously getting a whole lot more than a Blu-ray player. But what we see now is a lot of the mainstream uh, brands are offering Blu-ray players for under $200, Hundred and sixty dollar type um, price, right? Yeah. So um, these are basic entry level name brands. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So so, so, okay. so you're talking your sort of you know LG and Panasonic, Panasonic type type, yeah. type, Still not type bad brands. Though. Yeah. No, that's so, a good price. Good so price. that's quite good. And they've got a um, they've got HDMI out, and you know usually some sort of um, 
digital audio out so you can link them into your 5.1 or whatever surround system, right? And, and it's potentially worth actually buying the same brand as for your television because your television and uh, on the HDMI cable really interacts well with these devices. So, you know, single remote operations and stuff like that. So it's definitely worth having a look at. But, um, hmm. yeah, I mean, for me, I, I still, you know, some of them are still a bit too pricey for me. So Well, I have a, I have a solution to that, Skip. And oh, what really? I, So what I, what I saw was that... Uh, a retailer that I wouldn't usually trust for uh, for electronics, but because I just wanted to have a bit of a play around with Blu-ray to see uh, to see what was happening with it out there, the warehouse. What the warehouse where everyone gets a something like that anyway is their uh, is their tagline. Um, they have they have launched a new brand in the in the past uh, few months, and they used to have their Transonic uh, brand, and that stuff always looked really cheap and really tacky, and and I think. It, you know, it, it, just, it just just looked pretty nasty. Uh, they've launched a new brand um, called... Cheap and Nasty? I was going to say it's called Neon. It's not called Neon. It's called... Is it Vion? Vion. V-E-O-N. Uh, now, I haven't been able to find a Vion.com or anything else to go with it, so <laughs> it's obviously a small in-house brand of theirs, but uh, they've got you know some quite... Um, some quite you know nice bottom bottom end uh, TVs and some other AV type things, and one of those things was a ninety nine dollar Blu ray player. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's not usually ninety nine dollars, but they regularly do specials, and at the moment it's available for ninety nine dollars. So I grabbed one and had a bit of a play and uh, watched some some Blu ray um, based discs through it, and it seems to seems to operate fine. Now it does list this one as as stereo output only but that's just for the analog uh, audio output you can still plug in a digital cable and that's similar to the 160 to 200 dollar name brand ones on the market um, so i just thought that that was worth mentioning if you want to have a little bit of a play around with blu-ray you're not you know may, maybe you're like me and you're probably hardly ever actually going to watch a blu-ray because you you um are watching streaming or downloaded content etc uh, it's nice to nice to be able to get a device, but it doesn't doesn't break the bank. So, so downloaded content as in the stuff that won't get internal affairs coming to visit you. Oh, all the good, all the good legit stuff. So, oh, right, that's uh, good. To yeah, hear. yeah. Now the other thing I noticed <laughs> was they had for 199. If I've got this right, they had actually a um, um, full um, what do you call it? Home surround sound system. So, so an all-in-one, um, yeah, a Blu-ray player with uh, speakers and amp, everything all built in for one hundred and ninety-nine dollars. Which last time I saw something that did Blu-ray with a full audio system. Now I know the sound quality and so on would have been a whole lot better than a hundred and ninety-nine dollar job, uh, but it was a thousand dollars plus. So, so that, I just thought that's 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 worth pointing out. Now, Steam has been hacked. Yes. What's that about? What's Steam anyway? What's the Steam thing? Skip. What's Steam? Um, what happens when you heat up water? <laughs> no, so um, we we have the Xbox uh, network, which uh, Xbox Live, which allows you to interact and play games and socialise and download and purchase games. PlayStation Three has its PlayStation Networks um, shop and that sort of stuff. So Steam is the version for PCs and Mac. Basically, it allows you to download and purchase uh, all sorts of games and uh, download uh, downloadable content, so additions for games and interact with other players and stuff like that so it's it's quite a 
it's actually quite a nice network. It's um, and it's a very popular network. I, about thirty-five million. Is yeah, that right? you think you mentioned that maybe yeah. before? Thirty-five million odd players in there, so it's not not an insignificant space on the internet. Google Plus size. Yeah, and it's um, it's unfortunately fallen the way of a lot of other gaming ventures and uh, become one of these hacked sites. You're kidding. So at first, it was the forums that they had online, which was basically just a place for everyone to sort of brag about how they just pwned someone in a game or something. Um, then the kind of news came out that actually these guys got a little bit deeper than the forums and that they did actually get hold of username, passwords and credit card details. Oh no. Now the good news, if there could be anything as good news, is that the data is encrypted. So the username and password situation, the passwords especially, are are encrypted and they're encrypted with a salt. So that basically it means it's it's got an encryption process that's gone over the top of it. A salt is an additional piece of uh, I guess you could say random data that's included in that that makes it harder to decrypt the information. That's good, right? That's that's a good thing to have. That is a good thing. So if you do lose the data, then you can't just sort of use the normal things. You've got to work out just exactly. So that's, that's a good, good thing. Good on Steam for doing that. Yep. Um, now, the, the credit cards <laughs> are a little bit harder. Now, the credit cards are actually just encrypted. Now, the reason why they're just encrypted is obviously you need to decrypt those to use them again later on in life. So whereas a username password is easy to do, you can just encrypt the password attempt and then try it against, you know, just do a match. You know, you don't have to worry about trying to, to decrypt anything. But the credit cards are less secure. They are still encrypted, but they're less secure. Now, the guess would be that if they've gotten and stolen this data, they've probably also stolen a couple of other things, like what's the algorithm to decrypt the credit card information. That is bad. And potentially also the method in which the username-password situation is encrypted as well. That's very bad. Which could be bad, although it could also be good depending on how they've done their salt. Now, cryptologists all over the world will probably be screaming at me saying, you're getting it wrong, or saying, yeah, that's probably quite accurate. Um, so... The, I guess the recommendation at the end of the day is if you're a Steam user and you're using your username password elsewhere, like on your email and your bank details and all this sort of stuff, go and change those passwords. Yep. Definitely do it and now. And what have you had to do again? And like myself, for a second time this year, I've gone and cancelled my credit cards because I just don't want to have the risk of that credit card information going out. Now, in saying that, I actually cancelled my credit cards just on the event because I changed... Um, uh, came back from KiwiCon and kind of cancelled everything just because <laughs> I wasn't hyper paranoid at all. Um, but yeah, so it's certainly um, something that's worth having a look at. So just for everyone out there, the, the owners of Steam or the creators of it have actually gone out and formally apologised, but have actually recommended that you do change your username and password and you cancel your credit cards. So yeah. they've actually physically gone out. Which, look how these guys have handled it compared to when Sony got hacked. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's a very quite, different ballgame. It's quite different. And they, I, I guess they've uh, they've probably learnt from some of the other uh, situations that have occurred in the past where, you know, being open and honest about it is actually probably the best policy. And they, they're gamers themselves, so they've absolutely gutted. They're absolutely gutted this has occurred. Um, and yes, it's a pain, but it's actually what we have to do these days. And possibly in a future show, we should look at some of these virtual credit card situations that are out there in the States, especially some of the American banks are doing, where you can actually have an individual credit card or virtual credit card that's attached to a real credit card that you use in services like this. So you don't have to cancel your entire bank sort of system, you just cancel the virtual card. So that's something we should have a look at. Yeah, and I'm like. It, it, it is a shame, but if you do use Steam, our recommendation, change your username password, change, cancel your credit card. If you are using mum and dad's credit card, please tell them because they might have big bills coming through. 
good point and you know we've talked about security things on on the podcast before but we we, we won't dive too much into those recommendations again but uh yeah be be, be wise out there in terms of uh, passwords and always use a different password across every service all right now next on the show we've got a little bit of a local issue that's been cropping up now this one has hit me in the last few days and it's to do well it didn't hit me actually it hit somebody i knew it's the inconvenience of sms messages that are delivered (laughs) at a very slow pace so that's that's annoying already isn't it i'm well annoyed sorry guys (laughs) so you're you're referring of course to the incident tonight where you're waiting outside in the cold and we were just ignoring you uh actually or your friend as well we weren't ignoring you because we actually never knew you were there well yeah yeah, there was there was that example so uh yeah i I was stuck outside thinking why aren't these guys letting me into the studio quick phone call no one had received my message now (laughs) it was sent from vodafone to another vodafone handset and to an XT network handset, and it took what maybe five ten minutes to to arrive. Oh no, I only got mine actually just before we started going on air, so okay. maybe so thirty minutes, thirty five right. minutes. So the right. telecom phone actually won. <laughs> so so quite quite interesting. Now SMS is one of those things that we know the networks don't guarantee any sort of delivery service, but we, not. we we have this expectation that they're as quick as you know, if not yeah, as quick as email that they're basically an, an instant type mechanism and you kind of expect that the networks will keep their technology up enough that if the if the phone's able to receive data and phone calls and things like that, SMS messages should just sort of pass pass through. They should have reliable enough infrastructure. Now the bit that got me was when I got a text message from somebody last week. He sent me a message and said why did you text me at 4.30 a.m.? You woke me up. That's inconsiderable. You rude man. Now, <laughs> we can't take you anywhere. Why would I be texting at 4.30 a.m.? Because you're so still working? I said, well, I've, I'm, I may have been up, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so I, I, I said, what was the message that I sent you? And he forwarded it back to me. This was on the 11th of November. And the message that he received at 4.35 a.m. was a message I had sent to him on, get this, the 31st of October. (laughs) It's quite a round-trip time, really, isn't it? Via Hong Kong. I mean, an email would have just, would have bounced, you know, someone would have got an alert saying, look, this hasn't gone through, something would have happened. This SMS message sat, I mean, after our experiment before, um, the fact that this seems to be happening from Vodafone, which is the network I'm on, I'm gonna, I'll, um, I'm gonna put the blame on them until we hear otherwise. Um, but oh. we don't, we don't know whose fault it is really. But um, uh, it was going from them, but it took a long time to get a Vodafone to Vodafone message through to Brad earlier. So I, I, I point the finger at them for now. Uh, but it was going from there to a two degrees um, a phone on the two degrees network. So it could have been a two degrees fault as well. But it just seems very, very odd that a message would take or could take that long to be delivered, that it could sit around somewhere on somebody's computer, whether it's two degrees or Vodafone's server somewhere, for that period of time. How's that even possible? Or could it be your smartphone? Just throwing it out there, because... What the... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's... Well, when I press send, 
that my phone will come back and tell me not sent if it doesn't send. It'll right. it'll actually give me a response. Uh, but it, it is it is software though, isn't it? I mean, yeah, but the phone's been on and off and all of those sort of things. The phone does confirm that a message has actually been that has been uh, been sent. So. Yeah, Brad's just sent me a test message and it's come through straight away. So, so I mean, while we all rely on these things, people need to understand that listening to the show is that when we say things aren't guaranteed, what Vodafone or Telecom are actually saying is that they don't guarantee that a message is going to get there in a timely manner. It's going to get there when it gets there. So that's what we're talking about when they don't guarantee a service around a service quality and getting a message there really quickly. Yes, Skip? Uh, there is one service that I think we should all look at seriously that actually offers not only speed of delivery and um, general reporting on it actually working and security, it's from a product called BlackBerry. Mm. The BlackBerry Messenger Service, which is actually really, really good. Now that's a guaranteed service, isn't it? That is it? a guaranteed. Well, the it's pro- guaranteed the pro- as long as they The problem with that crashed. is if I look around this room, none of us actually have a BlackBerry uh, device anymore. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? And have we gone down the right path? And the BlackBerry Messenger software is not sold or available for our for our devices. It's still only limited to uh, BlackBerry devices. Well, maybe we should get a BlackBerry's. Just throwing it out there. Give me a playbook and I'll try it out. Uh, final, I think this is one of our final topics for this evening, is that AMD have re- launched a new uh, CPU or processor for uh, for their, for servers. Oh, yeah. That ha- that can have 16 cores in it, which is effectively, and I mean, we've had, you know, dual-core and quad-core computers for, I guess, you know, commonly for the last sort of five to seven years, uh, but when that happened, it was like, oh, it's like having two processes. So this is like having 16 traditional processes in one box, but it's just on, on one chip. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think they're bringing it up for servers and industrial ovens. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, you, th- you think it's going to be pretty hot? I reckon it's going to be you interesting. You need a big heat sink I and, a, um, well. and a fridge or a, or a massive fan to keep it cool. So this is one area which I'm quite... I, I love this sort of technology, right? I mean, I... Yeah, you what, know, what are you going to do with that much processing? Well, like sixteen. So I've got sixteen cores on my home PC, um, which is great. But it's a different. <laughs> don't laugh. But it's a different type of architecture that works in a server. Now, one of the things that you can have a sixteen pro- core processor at in your home PC and a sixteen core processor in your server, but you can get between twenty four to eighty four percent power out of the server processor the way it's been designed one of the key things is also with it is it can handle large amounts of memory so it's for virtualization so people that wanted to virtualize their infrastructure and you talk about the the the, the heating thing these are 33 percent more cooler than your home pc really so you can actually just put a straight heat sink on these and not have to have a they fan. are very efficient aren't they yeah they're really really power efficient so these things are actually more optimized than your home pc devices and actually cooler than those devices and you can you can have like a lot of these in a server now so what this is enabling us to do is do a thing called density which is have a lot of lot of servers in a very very small space to to have for these large data centers going on I think it's very cool. And, and the design, obviously, is a much wider communications bus to the processor. Correct. So that means more data is able to flow from the processor to the memory and to peripherals. Yep, you go from an eight-lane highway to a 32-lane highway going straight through for as an analogy. What it means yep. is it can handle more information in, in one cycle, and it's yeah, really good. Alrighty, so two other topics that I just wanted to cover off briefly uh, happening and uh, or relevant in the mobile space. 
Uh, one is there's a conference coming up here in Auckland in just over a week's uh, week's time, and this is a gathering for iOS developers, those who are writing apps for iPhone, iPad, etc. And that's called NZI Dev. So we'll have the details for that if you're uh, if you're interested in going to that gathering. Those will be up on the nztechpodcast.com website. And in other mobile-related happenings, um, Google Android 4, the ice cream sandwich version, Google have made that and version 3 available. Uh, the open source code is now available. So that's uh, out there being distributed if anyone wants to get their hands on it, which is, is a good sign for um, phone manufacturers and so on that want to do all sorts of funky customizations and also for developers. So that's out there now. What we are waiting to hear on is just the availability of handsets locally and tablets that will come with Ice Cream Sandwich. But uh, that information will be coming through soon and existing handsets hopefully will also be getting the upgrade soon we'll let you know on a future episode on that uh now is that uh, that's just about up yes i think us for this episode but was there a competition or something going on no i'm i've won it <laughs> won what i won whatever competition there was we'll just move on now. the what, beautiful what? sexy nokia n9 device what was that competition oh nokia n9 Shishi, I really was hoping everyone would forget about that. Um, but, we all were. <laughs> but we've had messages sort of coming out our ears, really, via um, Twitter and Facebook and even people hitting us up on, on uh, Google Plus with their, with their entries. Um, we, we have one or two that say, oh, I don't like Facebook and uh, I'm not really into Twitter. Can I enter via Google Plus? So, um, so we've opened it up. So we've allowed people to enter by, um, by Twitter, Google Plus, or or Facebook, wow! This time around, and uh, interestingly, the winner that we've drawn out of the hat has uh, has entered on all three platforms. So <laughs> congratulations! So congratulations! So anyone who's listening in that has entered via three platforms, um, and I don't think there were there were many of you who did that, then. Um, then well done because you've uh, you've really put yourself out there. Now, shall we just prolong the announcement a little bit longer because people are waiting to see who won? Can we say the person's first name rather than last name, or how do you want to do it? No, let's just call. Let's actually just close the show and do it next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So the the winner I've got listed here is Alex Walker. We should call him up. Why don't we call him up? Alex Walker of. Milford. Now, now, now. This is a this isn't a full announcement because one of the things that you guys will have noticed is way we've we've done these announcements in the past. We announce them on the show, but we, they never appear on the web. So usually, what happens is somebody sitting in, in on the bus or driving to work, and they get a big surprise that they've won. Um, that that's how we that's how we sort of do our our competitions here. So that's why we don't announce them on the web. Um, because it's much more fun that way. But the flip side for our listeners is that if this person doesn't manage to listen in this week, then um, and none of you tell him, then there, then <laughs> I'm going to call then, him. Then then there's a chance that uh, there's a chance that one of you will, that will draw another name basically next week. So that's the way that's the way our system works. Is if the uh, the respondent doesn't uh, doesn't come forward and claim their prize. Uh, then it will go to someone else. So there you go. That, that's uh, 
that's no, our system. It's kind of uh, kind of kind of been fun in the past, and we we've always had great emails from people saying, "Oh, it was so cool to listen to the episode and hear you mention during it that I'd won." So that's how we're uh, that's how we're doing it. Congratulations, Alex. I certainly do hope you're listening in because uh, it would be. Yeah, it would not be nice if you're hearing this in two weeks' time and uh, actually we've pulled another name out of the hat by then and given the stunning Nokia N9 um, handset to someone else. So, um, yeah, let, let, let's hope you hear this. All right, thanks very much, everyone, for listening in. That's been the NZ Tech Podcast for another week. Um, oh, uh, one other little announcement. We are launching in the next 24 hours also... Uh, our new global podcast aimed at those uh, within the IT uh, industry, particularly IT resellers and those involved in the channel. It's a good chat, that one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. So if you want to have a listen in, um, you'll be able to head along to channelpartnerpodcast.com. That's where all the details are. It is up now on uh, on iTunes, on Zoom, on some of the other um, online podcast directories. So feel free to have a listen in if that's a space you're interested in. Uh, and yeah, we'd love it if any of you can mention that on on Twitter and so on. Just sort of share the word around, uh, particularly if you know people outside of New Zealand who are uh, involved in that side of the uh, the technology industry, uh, because this is a bit of a new thing for us to uh, to launch a podcast onto the global market rather than something that's just targeted here locally at New Zealand. Um, and we've pulled off a bit of a coup in this first episode and managed to get an interview with one of Microsoft's uh, vice presidents. Um, with John Roskell, who uh, who runs that whole channel partner uh, program for Microsoft, and, and it's it's quite an interesting one. So uh, yeah, so that's us. Thanks everyone for listening in. Do look us up on facebook.com slash NZ Tech Podcast on Twitter. We're at NZ Tech Podcast, and of course our main website nztechpodcast.com. If you want to look up uh, any of us uh, individually on Twitter, uh, Brad, your Twitter handle at Brad Bohr. And Skip. Uh, at Urban Kiwi NZ. And my one, of course, is just Paul Spain. So thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheers.